Welcome back to the Community Online Podcast. Remember, you can always find us on Sundays streaming live at communityonline.tv. We hope to see you there. If your house was on fire, what would you grab first? Forbes recently did a survey that was asking people what they would save if they were about to lose their home. 66% of people said either their phone, 38%, or their computer, 28%. In fact, significantly more people mentioned digital devices than the next closest item on the list, which was sentimental objects with 18%. Only 6% named printed photos, 2% say they'd grab some jewelry, and art came in last place with a minuscule 1%. I mean, for me, I would definitely grab my phone. I mean, my whole life is basically on this thing. All my photos, all my contacts. I mean, the last time that I had to remember a phone number was probably about eighth grade. I literally have no idea what anybody's phone number is. My phone would definitely be my top priority. Now, I really hope that this survey was assuming that people would make sure that their kids and pets were safe before worrying about these objects. But part of me is a little scared to know because our tech addictions run pretty deep, right? I mean, when you're put in a high-pressure situation to, to grab the things that are most important to you, it becomes really clear which things you value at the highest level. The things that we value, they capture our hearts, which shapes the way we think about things, which then affects how we act and ultimately who we become. So let me ask you this. When it comes to your life, when it comes to your relationships and how you spend your time and your energy, how highly do you value evangelism? How important is it to you to share your faith with others? This is a tough one, isn't it? I think for many of us, my guess is that evangelism doesn't quite make the list of what we value the most. Sure, it falls into the category of things we feel like we should value, like eating healthy or or caring for people who are struggling in, in one way or another. But if the national trends hold true for us here today, we probably don't value evangelism very highly. Now, I know there are probably a number of reasons for this. Maybe it's baggage from past experiences, maybe it's intimidation, maybe it's a sense that we're just supposed to respect the beliefs or or lack of beliefs of other people without imposing our beliefs on them. But whatever you find yourself on this spectrum, uh, for whatever reason, our hope is that this series will be both an encouragement and a challenge for you. We're in week two of our series called Lost Cause. Jesus said his mission, well, his mission was the reason that he came to earth. It was to seek and to save the lost. And we really have two objectives in this series. Objective number one is to revive evangelism. We believe the lost cause is not a lost cause. And objective number two is to learn the blessed practices, simple, everyday practices that can help us revive evangelism in our lives. So, Why should we care about seeking and saving the lost? Why should we care at all about the lost in the first place? Well, the short answer is because God does. God's cause is the lost. And so the burning question for us today is this. Do I value what God values? Well, in order to answer this question, 
let's take a look at the values that are at the core of God's heart and at the core of reviving evangelism. When Jesus was asked which of all the commandments were the greatest, he made his core values crystal clear. Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Love God and love your neighbor as yourself. This second commandment is where we want to start today. And if we're going to revive evangelism in our lives and in our church, we have to start with a genuine love for people. And really, this is the first value. Value number one is this. People matter. People matter. In the Gospels, Jesus says, love your neighbor. Not once, not twice, not three times. No, eight times Jesus tells us to love our neighbor. Love your neighbor, 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 love your neighbor. And if that wasn't enough, he says it even one more time, love your neighbor. I think Jesus is pretty clear. People matter. Love your neighbor as yourself is, is sometimes referred to as the royal law. That sounds beautiful, doesn't it? And it really is when we get it right. But loving our neighbor, well, it isn't always easy, is it? I think sometimes our neighbors are really hard to love. Like the next door neighbor I once had who graciously decided to plant bushes in my front yard while I was at work because he wanted some separation but didn't want to put them in his yard. I mean, they were hard to love. And maybe that's why God made it a core value to love our neighbors. He knew it would require time. He knew it would require sacrifice and intention. He knew we'd struggle. He knew if he didn't make it a core value, we'd probably treat it as optional. I think it's important to note, loving your neighbor is so much more than just trying our hardest to like squeeze warm emotions in their general direction. Love isn't merely some kind of abstract feeling. No, the kind of love that Jesus is describing here is describing concrete action, concrete action. We love by being kind and useful and, and helpful to our neighbor in practical and tangible ways. People matter to God. After all, perhaps the most famous verse in all of scripture says, for God so loved the world, for God so loved people in the world that he gave his one and only son. God calls us to love people like he loves people. That means finding the time, making the sacrifices, so that we can actually love our neighbors as ourselves. The second half of that verse, John 3.16, offers us a second core value. It finishes with this, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Value number two is this, eternity matters. Eternity matters. The writers of scripture don't hold back in describing eternity with, with descriptions of both heaven and of hell. 
In Revelation, John describes heaven as a place where God himself will be with them. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. Eternity with God is going to be awesome. It's going to be amazing. Eternity with God is going to be so much better than you could ever possibly imagine. And the writers of Scripture warn us about hell. In his gospel, Matthew records Jesus as saying this, And do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. And no, we don't really have time to unpack this completely, but Scripture is clear. There is eternal life. And every human being, Every single one of us is going to experience either eternity with God or eternity without God. Both heaven and hell are real. And actually, a poll by Pew Research Center found that 82% of people who call themselves Christians believe in hell. 82%. So, with 82% of Christians believing in hell, why is it that if the vast majority of Christians believe in hell, why do we have an evangelism problem? I don't know. It's baffling to me. Why isn't the prospect of hell and eternity without Jesus driving us to love our neighbors and share the good news? We should want to share eternity in heaven with our, our lost friends and, and our lost neighbors, right? I mean, last I checked, the, the death rate in our world is still hovering around 100%. And yet, we don't live our daily lives in light of this, do we? I think in our American context, it's easy for us just to get comfortable in the here and now of our lives and, and maybe ignore or forget about the reality of eternity that's facing all of us. Really, I think this is one of the reasons why learning about our, our Christ-following brothers and sisters around the world can be so helpful. Here, here's one example that I think is really helpful. I recently read a story about a Christ follower in Central Asia named Azat. Azat shared how the leaders of his company that he worked for offered him a brand new car and a brand new apartment and a raise. All he had to do to receive those perks was to deny that he was a follower of Jesus. See, Azat, he grew up Muslim, but met Jesus through an underground church and, and left Islam to follow Christ. See, the incentives that his company was offering could have given Azat and his family a much better life. But Azat refused. And that's when things got ugly. And the incentives were replaced with blatant threats of firing and even physical violence. But Azat, he didn't walk away. He didn't hide. Instead, he made this simple request. He said, just give me a chance to share the gospel with you and you will understand why I can't deny Jesus. I mean, wow. I mean, our brother Azat, he understands what it means to value eternity. It's hard to live with this eternal perspective. I mean, I know that I struggle to think about eternity when I'm thinking about how I'll spend my time during the week and when I'm just caught in the busyness of life. And I also know what it's like to succumb to fear and social pressure and, and to fail 
to share about Jesus with my friends and my neighbors. But thankfully, we're not, we're not facing the same dangers and pressures as our brother Azad. But my prayer is that today we could reestablish our view of eternity and really overcome our fears. Eternity matters. And finally, if we value people and we value eternity, then we must also value life in the right here and in the right now. Why? Well, because eternal life is not something that just starts when we die. Eternal life starts right now. When Jesus said, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full, the word in the original language of the Bible that Jesus used for life was not bios, as in a biological life, but instead zoe. Zoe life is about a quality of life, and zoe life starts now, and it lasts for all of eternity. So the implication is that we need to value life now, right now. Also think about this. Jesus' model for prayer in Matthew 6 includes this passionate plea. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. This prayer is not just a yearning for an escape to heaven. No, this prayer is his plea, Jesus' plea, to see the end of war, the end of sickness, the end of injustice, the end of racism, and all manner of brokenness in this world. This is Jesus' passionate desire to see everything on earth, everything in our world, become more like heaven. And really, this is really what we're doing when we pray. We're reaching out to God in faith and we're pulling down these heavenly realities into our earthly lives right here, right now. Just imagine with me for a moment. Just imagine, what would it mean if the kingdom came to where you live? What would it mean if the kingdom came to your marriage, what would it mean if the kingdom of God came to your parenting, to your relationships at work, to your relationships with your neighbors? What if the kingdom came to your community? What if it came to our nation? What if it came to our world? Just imagine for a minute how much good could be done and how much harm could be undone. Life here and now, it matters. So, if we're going to revive evangelism, it has to start with what we value. We each need to ask ourselves, do we value what God values? Do our values match that of the life and ministry of Jesus? Do we value what the Bible actually teaches and not just what we want it to teach? Because the Bible and the life and teachings of Jesus are very clear. People matter. Eternity matters. And this life right here, right now, it matters too. So if we value what God values, how do we actually live out those values? Well, this goes back to our second objective for this series, learning the blessed practices. One of the things that really sold me on the importance of the blessed practices was actually a chapter from a doctoral dissertation that contrasted blessers versus converters. I don't remember who wrote it, but as I read the contents, I began to get very excited about this doctoral dissertation. Now, 
I know this might be the first time that I've ever used the terms excitement and doctoral dissertation in the same sentence, but it cited research based on two teams of missionaries who went to Thailand. Now, while both teams went with similar goals to evangelize, they carried two distinctly different strategies. The converters group went with the sole intention of converting people. Their goal was singular, to save souls. The blessers group, well, they explained their intention as, we are here to bless whoever God sends our way. The study followed both the converters and the blessers for two full years. And at the end of that time, the research discovered two key findings. The first key finding was that the presence of the blessers in the community resulted in a tremendous amount of social good. It appeared, according to the study, that this group contributed to the betterment of society, community life, and the creation of social capital. While the presence of the converters, on the other hand, seemed to make really no measurable difference as far as they could tell. The second discovery, and this is the part that was very surprising, was that the blessers group Well, they saw 48 conversions over that two-year period. And any guesses on how many conversions the converters group saw after two years? Any guesses? One. Only one. The blessers group saw almost 50 times as many people find their way back to God through being a blessing than those who are only trying to convert the people around them. So what's the bottom line here? Well, I think the bottom line is that the best way to accomplish Jesus's mission, seeking and saving the lost, is to be a blesser right now in this one life that you have been given. This is amazing. I I don't know about you, but, but I find this so encouraging. Remember, value number one is people matter. Value number two, eternity matters. And value number three, life matters. So, let's say you're hearing this and you're thinking, okay, okay, I'm on board. I want to value what God values. So, should I be like this guy? Well, to answer that question, let's take a look at what Jesus did. He did the opposite. He didn't just shout at people. He listened. Jesus demonstrated all five of the blessed practices, which are begin with prayer, listen, eat, serve, and story. And each week of this series, we're going to be highlighting one of those practices. This week, we're highlighting the second practice, listen. Listening is one of the most effective ways that we can value people like God does. There's a story in the book of Luke where Jesus comes across a blind man who is begging for his attention, and Jesus stops and he says this to the man, What do you want me to do for you? Lord, I want to see, he replied. Jesus said to him, receive your sight. Your faith has healed you. And immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus, praising God. When all the people saw it, they also praised God. Jesus saw this man and he cared about him. He didn't just walk on by minding his own business. Instead, he took the time to stop and to interact with this man, which demonstrates value number one. People matter. 
And then notice he didn't assume that he knew what the man wanted. He first asked a question, genuinely ready to listen to what this man's needs were. He listened. And then he heals him, which shows us that value number two, life matters. Right now, right here matters. Then he tells the man, your faith has healed you, which caused for others to praise God because value number three, eternity matters. Jesus listened as he blessed the people he encountered. And we can follow his example. Just like this story, I came across another story in the book Irresistible Evangelism about a woman named Jan. Jan is a staff member of the ministry Athletes in Action. And after attending a conference where the importance of listening to lost people was stressed, Jan and others were relaxing in the hotel whirlpool and two other girls who were seniors in high school joined them in the tub. And one of the girls, who was named Brittany, began passionately telling her friend about an upcoming Wiccan gathering that she was planning to attend. And this is what Jan said. Normally, I would have tried to counter the girl's ideas, but I decided to listen instead. I said something simple like, wow, you, you really sound excited about this. And this was all the encouragement that she needed to launch into a five-minute explanation of why she was so attracted to neo-pagan rituals. The bottom line was that she had really a traumatic time in high school, and the Wiccans accepted her. She said, I've gone through so much crap just trying to make it through high school that I'll probably have to be in therapy for the rest of my life. I tried just to mirror back what she said with, it's hard for you to even imagine a future where you'd be free from all the pain that you've gone through. But what came next completely floored me. With a film of tears starting to form in her eyes, with complete sincerity in her voice, she said, Sometimes, sometimes I wish I could be born all over again. I'd really like to start over from scratch. After a long pause, my friend asked if she would really like to be born again. Yes, I really would, she said. And then Jan and her friend had the opportunity to introduce this young woman to Jesus. Last week, we issued a challenge to choose eight people to bless and to begin praying for them every day by name. Hopefully, you've started that process. And if you haven't, you can start right now. The next step is to look for opportunities to intentionally listen to your eight this week. For example, this week, I'm going to invite one of my eight people to grab coffee, and I'm just going to ask them a bunch of questions about their life, about their job, about their kids, about things they enjoy. And my main objective is to simply listen and to get to know them better. Theologian and author David Augsburger says this, being heard is so close to being loved that for the average person, they are almost indistinguishable. The reason that we make space to listen to others and to help them find their way back to God is that someone did that for us. Likely someone who has done that somewhere along the way in your story. And as we see in scripture, it's clear that God did this and he continues to do this for us, his children. You see, God values us. He longs for us to experience eternity and life, life to the full. 
Evangelism is sharing your faith with others. It's, it's one of the primary ways that we can value what God values. There are people out there. There are people in your life right now who are just longing to be heard. What if, what if you and I decided to be God's ears and actually listen? Just imagine the impact if more and more people felt loved by God in this way. We hope you were encouraged and challenged by today's message. Our mission is to help you find your way back to God. And by listening today, you've already taken your first step. And we'd love to help you take a next step in your relationship with God, the church, and the world. It's how we're all embracing the flourishing life that Jesus talks about, a life we call U+. Visit communitychristian.org to take a next step, learn more, give generously, and plan your visit. We hope to see you on a Sunday soon.